This is our time. We have the privilege to baptize a new believer into the Lord Jesus Christ and into His church. We like to present a Bible and a certificate for this special day. So, Abby, I'm going to invite you to come and receive this. We're proud of you, and we look forward to seeing you serve the Lord. So on behalf of the church, there you go. Give her a hand this morning. So this morning, we are going to be wrapping up a series that we started about two months ago called The Struggle is Real. And we have spent some time looking at various topics that are struggles, I believe, for all of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm really excited today to preach a message about this last struggle. But before I do that, what we always do here at the church is to just take a moment to read a few verses uh, of confession and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to forgive us of any sin that we might have uh, brought in with us today and just to prepare us for this hour of worship. So I'm going to read from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8, and then give you a few moments to pray quietly before I lead us together. So Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8 say this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Lord, we are thankful today as your people that you are a refuge. When the storms beat against us, Lord, that you are the firm foundation that we are set upon. So today, Lord, we pray that we would set aside ourselves and that we would confess our sins and ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts to receive this word, Lord. I pray that uh, if someone here today is struggling as a believer, that this word would encourage them to get back in the fight to repent of their sins or their struggles and follow you. And most of all, Lord, we pray for the one that may be lost, whether watching online or here in this service, that they would understand the seriousness of their sin and yet the, the great love and mercy found in Christ that can forgive them and make them a new creature. And Lord, today may it be the day that they would receive you as their Savior. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to be in the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 7 for this last message in this series, and I've titled it, The Struggle is Real, Sanctification. Now before you tune out and say, that's just a big theological term that means nothing to me, let me just put it this way, because I've tried to keep these things to just one word, but if I made it a longer, thing, a longer word than just sanctification, I would say the struggle is real, trying to live this thing called the Christian life. How's that sound? Is that a little bit better? Because I think we all struggle as believers sometimes to live a life of obedience, to live a life where we in fact do die to self and let Christ live through us. I've never met a Christian yet that has figured that all out yet. And so I hope that today will be an encouragement to you. I hope that the Spirit will minister to your heart and to help you grow in this area that I believe we all need to grow in. Amen? 
So let's do this. If you're able to, one final time, would you stand with me? We're going to read God's Word together. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Romans 7, 14 through 25. Paul writes these words. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time to gather together to worship you. May your spirit minister and speak to our hearts, Lord, and may he accomplish the purpose that he sees fit. And we'll give you thanks for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A lot of you that have spent any time in church know the, the, the hymn, Amazing Grace. That song was penned by a man who at one time was quite a wretch. Like he says in that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He was a foul-mouthed, wicked man who was a slave trader. And it was on one of those slave ships during a storm where he wasn't sure if he was going to survive any longer, where the Holy Spirit found him and spoke to him. And John Newton would become a great pastor and preacher of the gospel who wrote many hymns. Of course, Amazing Grace is the one we're probably most familiar with, but he wrote many others. But John Newton said this, and I believe it's very pertinent to what we're looking at this morning. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not even what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. We should be thankful in our lives about any progress that we have made in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we should ever be satisfied with that progress. But we should always be grateful for any type of progress, any type of holiness that is produced in our lives. Because that is not from us. That is strictly because of Christ's grace and mercy in saving us the Holy Spirit indwelling us and living through us, that we're able to produce anything good. And so the Apostle Paul, in this wonderful letter to the church in Rome, gets us to this portion where we're at today, where he is discussing the relationship of the believer to the law of God and how we are no longer bound by the law, but we are set free 
to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verses 14 to 25 fall into a debated area, if you will, amongst theologians because there's really two differing opinions on this portion of Scripture. Some people believe that the Apostle Paul is writing this portion of Scripture about an unbeliever, about someone who has not yet been saved. Others, like myself, believe that this is, in fact, a true believer who is experiencing the struggle of living the Christian life, yet still being bound by this fleshly body, which at times wars and pulls against the Spirit. And I would say, because then the debate comes, was well, this a young believer, an immature believer, or is this a mature believer? And I would say again that based on my belief and my studies, that the Apostle Paul was speaking of himself. He was speaking of himself not as a new Christian, but as a mature believer. At the time of the writing of the book of Romans, he'd been converted for some 20 years. He wrote this letter in Corinth about 10 years before he would be martyred in Rome. And so I believe he was a mature believer who just was struggling as we all do to live the Christian life. But regardless of your position on that, what I'd like to do this morning is to try to start out by just kind of moving through this verse, uh, just uh, expositionally, just kind of going verse by verse and explaining it. And then once we kind of get an idea of what Paul is saying, then to try to go back and make some application to ourselves today, okay? So look with me again at what we just read. He begins in verse 14 by telling us that we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So what is he saying there? He's trying to relate to the Jewish Christians here that the law originated with God. We understand that the law has a divine origin. It's not something that man invented himself. The law comes from the very mind of God. Other translations say the ESV says that that I am uh, of the flesh I am in the flesh he says there in verse uh, 14 the NIV says I am unspiritual other translations say I am carnal so what is Paul saying when he's contrasting this law that comes from God and he being in the flesh well a lot of times the word flesh is used to denote carnality that's not what this is saying here the Greek word here is sarkanos which means flesh but it's focused more on the frailty of the flesh the weakness of the flesh as human beings we are weak and we are frail we need help we can't live the Christian life without some divine intervention on our behalf okay so that's what Paul is starting out to say we know that the law is spiritual it comes from God but I am weak. And therein lies the struggle for all of us. There is a holy standard to abide by, yet we are weak people that cannot do this thing. And so that is where this battle begins. Every Christian in this room and watching online ought to be able to relate to what Paul is saying there. This divine law and this weakness that we have is a struggle. And what's encouraging to me is we are reading these words from the Apostle Paul, guys. Like, this isn't just some brand new Christian. This isn't just some guy that, you know, doesn't have any weight behind his words. If the very Apostle Paul that wrote 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament has this struggle, that's encouraging to me. 
because I know that I'm not alone in this thing. I know that my struggle is not some oddity, that your struggle is not rare. If the Apostle Paul dealt with this, I can expect to deal with this. But I can also learn from him how he overcame, how he found victory in Jesus. Okay? And so he goes on in verse 15. And he tells us there, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the, I do the very thing that I hate. That sounds really confusing at first. What is Paul saying there? I don't understand my own actions. One of the things that we miss when we read that in English is the fact that, if you notice, he uses the word do three or four times in that text. And three times that he uses that word do, it's always a different Greek word. And that's important. Again, that's one of the things that we lose when we translate to another language is we lose some of those nuances. We lose some of the force behind what's being said. So let me try to paraphrase this. I wrote this down in kind of my own wording, if you will, because when you read the words and just see do, 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 you don't understand exactly what he's trying to say. So let me put it this way. And think about what Paul is saying when I replace those words do with the actual meaning of them. For I produce, so that first word do means to produce something. I produce by my own volition, so my own choice, I'm producing something, despite working, so that's the second do means to work at something, despite working to not do these things, I ultimately make decisions I hate. So what is he saying there? He says, I, I have a, an idea in my mind what I want to do. And what I want to do is not these things, but I always end up doing these things. Sound familiar? Think about your own life. Think about the struggle that you have, perhaps with one particular sin, perhaps with several sins. And you fall under that conviction. And you say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to resist. I'm not going to give in this time. And then that temptation is so strong and that pull is so tough that in the moment you give in. That's the struggle that Paul is relaying to us. I don't want to do these things. I don't want to live this way. I am a child of God and I know that these things should be avoided. And I want to go this way, but I always seem to go that way. Can you relate? I think we can. One of the commentaries that I used by a guy named Grant Osborne, he said this about that verse, and I thought it was really good. He says, the will is part of the mind. Here Paul distinguishes his actual desire from that which is effectively carried out. He volitionally planned to do the good, but he actually carried out what he hated. He goes on to say, this moral failure is caused by the power of sin within and by the human fleshly propensity to surrender to that power. Listen to what he says here. Sin provides the temptation. The flesh surrenders to it. Sin provides the temptation. The flesh surrenders to it. Again, as long as we live on this side of glory, 
we are living in an unredeemed body. You understand that when we leave this body, we as Christians will go on to be with the Lord. We are not taking this with us. We are getting a new one of these because this one is unredeemed. That's why Paul said a few weeks ago when we preached from 1 Corinthians 15, the, incorrupt, the corruptible has to put on incorruptible. We will always face a struggle in life because of this flesh, wanting to give in to desires that the Spirit does not want us to give in to. He goes on in verse 16 and says to us, Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What is he saying to us there? He says, I recognize again, I recognize that this law, these commandments are good. I know that they're good. I have a desire to obey them. One of the surest tests that you are truly a child of God is that your desires have changed since you met Jesus. Your desires have changed. If your desires have changed, your actions will follow. If your desires have not changed, my friend, and you're trying to live a Christian life without being a Christian, that is exhausting. And you will never make any progress in that type of life. Because I would say this to you this morning, why pretend when you can have the real thing? Why fake something that can be real for you? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross and shed His blood so that you could be forgiven. And by faith alone, you can receive that great gift. And He will come into your life. And He will make you righteous. And He will make you holy. And the Spirit of God will begin a process in your life that will go on for as long as you live of making you into the image of the one that you gave your life to. Why would you want to fake that and pretend that you're something you're not? The desire will be different Paul says that I want to serve God. I want to obey the law, but there is a struggle taking place. Do you face that struggle? If so, take heart. Because that's one of the surest evidences that you are, in fact, a new creature. Is that there was a battle going on when you were lost, when I was lost. The last thing I worried about before I went out and indulged my flesh and lived in sin was whether or not God was going to be upset with me. I didn't care. I didn't believe in God. I, maybe I did to some degree, but I sure didn't, didn't think that there was a personal relationship that I could have. I sure didn't worry about whether or not he was going to be offended that I was getting drunk or doing this or doing that. I just went out and lived for self, lived for the moment. I was a hedonist. Enjoy pleasure, enjoy life, because that's what we are here for. And I found out after I met him that my desires were changed because he now lives inside of me. He now lives within me. And that's what Paul's saying. I have a desire, even though I struggle to live that desire out. He goes on and says in verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now wait a minute, Paul. Are you trying to take a, uh, not take responsibility here? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it, when we read that? He says, it's not I that do it. It's the sin that dwells within me. Paul is not trying to shirk away from his responsibility. He is not trying to deny that he alone is accountable for his actions. What he is saying is this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Your identity is now 
not what it used to be. Your true identity, who you truly are, you were born again. You're not who you once were. The old man has died, and you have been raised to life. That's what Abby depicted in baptism, that the old person has died. She was united with Christ. The water did not save her. She was already saved. What we saw was that she died with Christ, and she has risen with him to newness of life. And so what Paul is saying is, when I do these things, I am not living and abiding in my true identity. I am living according to someone else or something else. Let me, let me put it this way. Suppose that you build a house or we're building a house for you or for a relative and you got the house finished but had not yet moved in. There are people, homeless people sometimes, that come along and find an empty building and set up a temporary residence in there. We call them squatters. What Paul is saying is, who I am has been invaded by a squatter. There is someone living there or something living there that does not belong there. He's saying this sin in my flesh is taking up residence and that's not who I really am. My body is the temple of God. It's not meant for a squatter that doesn't belong there. That's the idea that he's trying to say to us. He's not saying that I'm not responsible. He's saying that when we live a life opposed to what the Word of God tells us and what the Spirit of God desires for us, we are not living according to our new identity. We are living by who we used to be. And we are submitting ourselves to the control of someone that should not be a resident in our house. Do you understand? Okay. So we go into verses 18 through 20, and it's really just a repeat of verses 14 through 17. He is just reiterating to us the struggle between the spirit and the flesh, sin and disobedience, truth and error, uh, just reaffirming all that. So I'll jump down to verse 21, and he says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close his hand. Again, I want to do right. His desire is there. As a new creature in Christ, Paul wants to live for Jesus. I hope and pray that that is your sentiment today as well. If you are a follower of Jesus, that you genuinely want to do everything you can to please the Lord. That you don't just live your life haphazardly. You no longer live your life for you. You live your life for someone greater than you to bring Him glory. And he goes on and tells us in verses 22 and 23, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul is not saying here that there are two different people. I know the illustration has often been used that there are, there are two, two different people or there are two things going on. That's not what Paul is saying. He is one man. He's just divided. Just a divided man. There's just a struggle. There is an inner turmoil going on inside of his life. And again, if you're a true child of God, I don't see how you can't relate to this this morning. We all experience that struggle with the flesh, with sin. We all get tired. Aren't you tired sometimes of just sin? Aren't you just tired of evil and wickedness? Not just out there, but in here. 
Don't you just get tired sometimes of saying, why can't I get this? Why do I keep giving in to this stuff? Why do I keep falling? Why can't I just get past this? It's a constant struggle, and it will often cause discouragement and defeat if you become focused on just that. But Paul is going to show us how we are, in fact, victorious, and how even in the midst of our struggles and our sins, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I want you to see something here. This war that's going on between the spirit and the flesh. Sin is the aggressor. Sin is the one that keeps on coming, attacking and attacking. And Paul says the law, in a sense, is a defender. It is the one that that calls to mind the truth of God, the desire of God. And so every time that sin attacks, there is a defense that is put up. And this war goes back and forth. He says, my inner man, who I am in Christ delights in this law but my members my flesh it wants to give in it wants to cross the line sometimes it wants to indulge itself in things that it shouldn't so when we read this i can understand why some people say this is the this is not a christian this is an unbeliever that's constantly being defeated But there are too many things that I see in the text that point to the fact that this cannot be an unbeliever. Because an unbeliever does not delight in the law of God, number one. And also, as we'll see in a moment, the source of hope for Paul is Christ. That is not a place that an unbeliever will go to look for help. And so, what I want us to understand is... This is not a lost person. This is a true believer. And I think it's important to understand, again, what is it that Paul is contrasting here? He's contrasting sin with the law. He's talking about a man who is trying to obey the things of God in the flesh that pulls the other direction. And I want you to think about this. In all of chapter 7... And specifically in the text that we are looking at this morning, how many mentions of the Holy Spirit did you see? Zero. Zero mention of the Spirit of God. We will see Him mentioned profusely in chapter 8. We saw Him mentioned in chapter 6. But we did not see Him mentioned here because Paul is relating to us a very distinct message, and that is the struggle between the law and the flesh. The law and the flesh. The battle that takes place there. The law, we understand, cannot overcome sin. The law is good, Paul says so, and the Bible declares it to be so. The law is from God, so it is good. And the law has a purpose. But the purpose of the law is not to defeat sin. It is to show us sin. It is to lay out a standard It is to show us God's holiness. It is to show us our unrighteousness. It's like the check engine light on your car. It tells you something's wrong, but it doesn't fix the problem. To fix the problem requires that you go beyond the check engine light. And so this is the issue. Believers delight in the law. Paul delights in the law, but that's not enough for us to actually live it out. And friends, you can do Bible studies 
until you've memorized everything from Genesis to Revelation. That does not equate to you living out that life practically. It's very important for you to understand the Word of God. It's very important that you study the Word of God. But all of that head knowledge means nothing if it doesn't equate to a life lived out practically. You've got to apply these things to your life. And that's why it's interesting in verse 23, this war that's waging in Paul's life and in our lives, where is it taking place? What does he say in verse 23? I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my what? My mind and making me captive to the law of sin. The battlefield for the believer is in the mind. Your heart has been changed. You've been given a new heart. The prophet Ezekiel said, I will take out your heart of flesh or your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You have a new heart. You are a new creature. You are Christ's. But your thought life is under constant attack. The choices that you want to make, the sin that you don't want to heed, are constantly there. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, a few chapters later, he would say in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed don't be conformed. Don't fall into the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. Metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from. Like a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out something different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means to make fresh. If you go look in our children's church room, it just got a new coat of paint. Doesn't the whole house look different when you just put some new paint on the walls? It makes everything look different. That's what he's saying here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, that process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, of living this Christian life is a battle in the mind. Who you are in Christ is already settled. We are not trying to be saved every week. You come to Jesus one time. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all unrighteousness. When Jesus paid it all, that with the song that we sing, He paid it all. And some of you are constantly doubting your salvation because you think that every sin requires a new sacrifice. He's not coming back to die again. He's coming back to judge the world in righteousness and set things new. You see the difference. You are justified, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are reconciled, you are all of those things because of Christ and your faith in Him. But this process of becoming more like Him will go on all the days of your life and the battle primarily is here. The battle is taking place in your mind. So don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. The world has an opinion on everything. And everything that the world has an opinion on will be opposed to this. Woe to those that call good evil and evil good. And that is what you will find out there. And you have got to make a decision, and I hope you made this decision before you came to Christ, that no matter what they think, no matter what they do, no matter how much I want to be accepted and I want to be liked and I want to be a people pleaser, 
I am going to follow Jesus. If that means I'm going to stand alone, so be it. But I am going to ground myself in the Word of God and I am going to stand firm with His help and I'm not going to give in to the things that the world says. That's the choice. That is the choice that you must make. And that can get lonely sometimes. And that can get tough sometimes. But there's one that sticks closer than a brother. There's one that will never leave or forsake you. And if you have him, you have all you need. And I can promise you that there are people, I hope that you are part of a local church, whether it's not this one, somewhere, where you can say that there are other believers that will stand on the word of God and that will encourage and support me and hold me accountable when it's needed. And they will walk with me. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this thing. But we have got to allow our minds to be transformed. Another verse that he talks about, this same idea is Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 23. He says, put off your old self. So notice, this is an intentional act. In one sense, the old man has died, and we are a new creature in Christ. Positionally, I am saved. I am already new. But practically being sanctified every day I've got to make a conscience effort to put off my old self which belongs he says to the former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed see what he says there be renewed where in the spirit of your mind that word renewed there means to reach new heights it's growing in maturity so as you be, as you walk through this life and follow Jesus it doesn't always look like this. Sometimes it kind of goes like this. Sometimes it goes like that, right? But at the end of the day, the chart ought to be going this way more than it's going that way. You're growing. You're reaching new heights in your mind, in the way that you think, in the way you think is the way that you act, right? And that's what he's saying there. So go back to our text in Romans, and we'll close out in just a moment. Verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This body, this flesh that is constantly pulling against what I want to do, what I desire to do. Who is going to set me free from this thing? Verse 25. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh... I serve the law of sin. The victory that we just sung about this morning is ours in Christ. If you are a believer, you have in your present possession victory. We often long for heaven and we sometimes think that heaven is the victory. And in a lot of ways it is. But you have victory now. And so many Christians are just trying to make it, just trying to endure it until they float off to glory. I don't believe that the Lord just wants us to endure this life. I think He wants us to live a victorious life in Him now. The problem is I think that Christian bookstores and popular televangelists have painted a picture of what that victory now looks like that's not biblical. Right? Victory in Christ can be when you're in the valley. Victory in Christ can be in the middle of a storm. Victory can be when you're wandering in the wilderness. Because again, victory on the outside might look one way, but victory on the inside is settled. 
It's sure. It's certain. All of the promises of the Word of God cannot fail. When you read those things, and Paul says that we are justified in Christ, and now we have peace with God. What a truth. We have peace with God. We were enemies of God. We were under the wrath of God. And now through Christ, we are at peace with God. That ought to make you happy. Uh, Sometimes we as Christians are so worried about the devil. The devil's doing this, and the devil's doing that. I'm much more worried about God being after me than I am the devil being after me. <laughs> Look, I would much rather have the devil after me knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign and the devil can't touch me or do anything to any of you unless the Lord allows it than to have the creator of the universe upset with me. All right, I think we got our priorities wrong. But through Christ we've been justified and reconciled and adopted. All those things that I mentioned earlier, those are ours. And that is why, because remember, I've told you this a bazillion times. When the Bible was written, guys, it didn't have chapters and verses. These were just letters. The chapters and verses were added in the 16th century by translators. So when we're reading this letter, it didn't go from verse seven, from chapter 7, 25 to 8, 1. It was all one thing. And Paul goes from verse 25 into chapter 8 with this glorious truth And a glorious truth for us. What does Romans 8 say? Verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now, presently, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment for us anymore. Why? Because Christ took the judgment for us. Do you see the good news is that we will never again, we struggle with sin, but we're not condemned by sin. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. There's a difference between the justification and the sanctification. And that's why so many Christians struggle is they muddy the waters with those two things. If you're in Christ, you're saved. The question is, are you in Christ? Don't just assume that you're saved. Don't just say, well, I made a profession of faith. I got baptized too. There's got to be some fruit. There's got to be some evidence. Your desires have changed. Your affections have changed. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life. You love the things that Christ loves and you hate the things that He hates. Is that evidence there for you? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on, remember, He'd been talking about the law and the flesh. Now what does He say? For the law of the Spirit. Here's the mention of the Spirit. We didn't see that in chapter 7. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of of sin and death. That's what he was talking about in verse 7. You are set free. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. We don't live the Christian life by trying to keep a bunch of rules, guys. And that is why so many Christians struggle because every day you get out your paper and you say, didn't cuss? Didn't get angry? Oops, I did this one over here. I'll work harder on that tomorrow. And you go down through your list and you say, well, God, I got seven positives and three negatives. So today... I did good. You're pleased with me. That's not how it works. Jesus is the reason God is pleased with you. Jesus' righteousness in your place is why you're accepted, not because you did pretty good on keeping a list of rules. Do you understand? You don't live the Christian life by trying to be obedient to the law. You live the Christian life by allowing the Spirit of God to live through you. By surrendering yourself to Him. It's not by trying harder. It's by trying less. 
It's by getting yourself out of the way and letting God live through you, by surrendering yourself in humility to His will and His purpose, to obey the, law, the Word, to be part of a local church where people can hold you accountable and help you, not in their own self-righteous arrogance, but to help you do this thing called Christianity. He goes on and says, For God has done, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a glorious thing that God would send His Son to become one of us, sinless, perfect, that He would fulfill the law that we never could, and that He in His obedience would be willing to go to the cross and die for us. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. He did that to glorify the Father. He did that to redeem sinners. What a truth. What love, what mercy. He says, He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but to the Spirit. It's the life of Christ that makes us victorious. Not us trying to keep a list of rules. I want you to think about this as we're close. A lot of times we're in this battle and we want to do right and we struggle just like Paul does. And you say, well, Pastor, you've told me all these things about who I am in Christ and all these promises that I have. So why don't I experience victory more in my life? Because, guys, you can have a whole table set with food and starve to death if you won't eat it. You can, you can starve to death in a grocery store. You just can. God has provided everything you need in Christ. But you've got to act upon it. And I think sometimes Christians just think, well, I'm saved, so I'm just going to pray and God's going to do it. God's going to take care of it. My pastor used to always say, don't pray for a hole and lean on your shovel. And that's true. God gives us what we need, but we need to act. We need to be intentional on how we live out this Christian life. A lot of times Christians say, well, I... I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm just praying about what He wants me to do. Bless your heart. <laughs> He'd give you a whole book about stuff you need to do. Get busy. Reach the lost. Disciple somebody. Be an encourager. Be a help. There's so much. And we're waiting for God to come down and give us some divine revelation when He's already given us a revelation of himself in the word of God. We got to make a choice. All through the Bible people make choice. Again, I think we have mistaken what the sovereignty of God is. God is sovereign, but that doesn't necessarily equate to God has to determine every minute detail of my life for him to be sovereign. He is sovereign and in control of all things, but that doesn't mean that we are just automatons and he divinely determines every single thing that we do, think and say. 
We are created in the Imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. And one of those things is that we have a volition. We can make choices, good and bad. God is still in control of our good and bad choices. He works all things together for good, even when we're not good, even when circumstances aren't good. He can work all things together for the good, for His glory. But Joshua made a choice. He said, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a choice. Moses made a choice. Moses said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Make the choice. Choose what's right. David said, I would rather choose to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You have got to make a choice with what you're going to do with your life. And most importantly, you have to make a choice with what you will do with Jesus. Today, in this moment, you have a choice to make. If you are watching online or you're here in this room and you are lost, you have a choice to make. What will you do with Jesus? Will you continue in your sin? Will you continue in your religiosity trying to do it your way? Or will you repent and turn to Christ and call on Him to forgive you and save you? And if you're a Christian and you're struggling to live the Christian life, will you make an effort to press deeper into Jesus, not to try to keep the law, not to make promises again to God that you're not going to keep, to fill your life with Christ so much that it's an overflow that comes out of who you are. Who you are will come out. Jesus said what's on the inside will come out. Right? What's in the heart will come out. If you fill yourself up with Jesus, that will come out. If you fill yourself up with other stuff, that will come out. What's in the cup is what will slosh around when you bump it. Okay? Make that choice. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up here, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. What does that mean? The invitation is just a time where you respond to what you've heard. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you do so. If you want me to pray with you, I can't save you. But I can show you the one that can if you still have questions. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you are a Christian and have never been baptized. I don't know where you're at this morning. But you do and God does. And I pray that you would make the decision today to follow Him, to surrender to Him, and to live for Him every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You that all of us as believers can understand this struggle. And yet, Lord, I'm thankful today that in the midst of all my shortcomings and failures and sins, that there is one that loved me enough to forgive me and to keep forgiving me. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for fellow believers. I'm thankful for people that don't just tell me what I want to hear. I'm thankful for people that don't just tell me, well, it's okay, you're just a human being, you're going to make mistakes. I'm thankful that people say, that's a sin and you need to repent and grow. And I'll walk with you through that. Because we have to hold one another accountable, Lord. And I'm glad that you've given the local church the opportunity to do that. So, Lord, in this invitation, I pray that you will deal with hearts that you're already dealing with hearts. And that they would have the strength and the courage to follow your voice in this decision. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and as we sing, would you come this morning?